0: Just a note before we begin, you notice in your bulletin it says the title of the message is The Productive Ministry. It should be The Principled Ministry. So if you came here today and you're all geared up because you thought you were going to hear a message about a productive ministry and now I'm going to disappoint you by preaching about a principled ministry, then feel free to leave if that's going to be too traumatic for you to shift gears. <clears throat> but it should be The Principled Ministry. It's not difficult in our day and age to run across somebody who is in ministry for all of the wrong reasons. It's not difficult to find men, or women for that matter, who are in pastoral ministry or any other kind of ministry, who are in it for the sake of the sordid gain, for the money that they think they can make in the ministry. Less than a year ago, I was at a backyard dinner of sorts, catered. It was a catered dinner, and most of the people who were there were unbelievers. In fact, the vast majority of them were unbelievers, and we were sitting down at a table with some other believers, and a man uh, joined us, and he was from Seattle, and he was an unbeliever, a rank unbeliever, and very vocal about that. Uh, he, he joined our table, and he began to tell us about a, as he knew I was a pastor, and he began to tell us about a pastor friend of his in Seattle. Now, this man, this unbeliever, owns a, some sort of a retail business. I think he sold bikes or something like that. And this pastor friend would come into his shop every once in a while to buy a bike. And he said that his pastor friend shared with him that the reason he's in the ministry and the reason he chose pastoral ministry is because it is a way that he can do very little work and collect a whole lot of money doing it. And he was getting fat and happy off of his pastoral ministry. And as far as he was concerned, the Christians that were in his church, if they could be called that, were gullible. The whole thing was a sham to him, a ruse, and he knew it was a ruse. He knew it was his way to collect a big fat paycheck from a bunch of gullible people and that being in ministry as a pastor was the quickest, easiest, fastest, biggest buck that he could find, and that's why he was involved in the ministry. You don't have to look far to find people who think that and to do that. I had a friend call me up. am not sure whether he's a believer or not, and I told you about this in another context, but... I had a friend call me up and ask me, what would be the easiest way to get into ministry because I want to get out of the job that I'm in now. It's too hard to work for not a lot of money and I'd like something that's easier for more money. (laughs) So I told him, I said, you know, if I wanted easy and more money, I would switch doing what I'm doing with what you're doing. Uh, That was his mentality. To him, it was a way of getting bigger money for lesser work. You don't have to look hard to find people who think in those terms or to find men who are in ministry because it offers them money. It's their opportunity to collect big offerings and to get money from people for the work or lack of work that they do. That's the mentality. The church has always been plagued by men like that. In fact, it predates the New Testament church. Back in the nation of Israel, there were men who were in positions of spiritual authority and leadership who were the shepherds and the teachers and the priests and the pastors in a sense, of the nation of Israel. And they had the same problem back then. Listen to what Isaiah said. Isaiah 56.11 And the dogs are greedy. He calls them dogs. That's the term that Paul uses for false teachers, by the way. The dogs are greedy and they're not satisfied. And they're shepherds who have no understanding and they have all turned to their own way, each one to his unjust gain. To so the very last one. Jeremiah six, verse thirteen. From the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. Micah chapter 3, verse 11, her leaders pronounce judgment for a bribe, her priests instruct for a price, and her prophets divine for money, and yet they lean on the Lord saying, Is not the Lord in our midst? Calamity will not come upon us. They had the problem in ancient Israel. They had the problem in the early New Testament church. Do you remember Simon the sorcerer? When Peter and John came down to Samaria and laid hands on the people, they received the Spirit. Simon was there. Simon was not a believer. But he was in the church looking like a believer, acting like a believer. And when he saw that the Spirit of God came upon those Samaritans, by the laying on of the hands of Peter and John, what did he say? He offered the money and said, Give me this power too, so that whoever I lay my hands on will also receive the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw Peter and John give the Spirit of God by the laying on of hands to those Samaritans, he saw dollar signs. That's why he offered them money. He could make some coin doing that. He could make some money if he had that kind of power. To somehow manifest some sort of spiritual presence by the Spirit of God like that, he could charge people for that. And he was willing to pay money for that power. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, There are some men who are of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain, money. It's a mentality. It wasn't so with Paul. It wasn't so with Paul at all. In fact, Paul gives us an illustration, an example of the exact opposite of that. In Acts chapter 20, and you need to have your Bibles open to the book of Acts chapter 20. If you're not there yet, please turn to Acts chapter 20. We're going to finish this morning what we started eight weeks ago, and that is this farewell address of the Apostle Paul to the elders of the church at Ephesus in Miletus. He called to him the elders, and Paul goes on to commend to them a certain style, a certain type, a certain model of ministry that he himself had modeled. And these words between verses 18 and and the end of the chapter, these words of Paul are not they are as much a description of his life and ministry as they are a description of what he's asking them to be ministering like. And he's holding himself out as an example. In fact, there are few commands in the passage. Most of it is Paul pointing to himself and saying, this is how I have ministered among you. This is how I have conducted myself. Now you conduct yourself likewise among the flock that the Holy Spirit has made you overseers of. And so Paul began to describing a persistent ministry. We looked at that in verses eight, beginning of verse 18 through verse 21. Persistent in his teaching and his message through the trials. Then the apostle Paul described a purposeful ministry. A purpose in the midst of uncertainty whether what he was going to do when he got to Jerusalem was live or die. He didn't know that. But yet he said, I just want to finish my course, my ministry. And then he goes on to describe a preaching ministry. You know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, will no longer see my face. And then Paul went on to describe a protective ministry, and that's what we looked at last week, ending at verse 32. And now beginning in verse 33, the Apostle Paul describes to them a principled, principled ministry. Listen to the man's two things I want you to notice. His integrity and his industry. Listen to these words of integrity. Verse 33, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes I've coveted no one's silver or gold that's money clothes or possessions you understand the difference between those two things silver and gold and possessions and you say well I've never coveted their money well you may not ever covet their money but you want their car you want their house you want their job you wish you had their kids you wish you had their wife you wish you had something else about them that they have that you don't have Paul said, there is is nothing that you have had, and he says this to the Ephesian elders, you yourselves know that I have coveted no one's silver, no one's gold, and no one's clothes. In other words, he's saying, I have been completely free from greed. He's talking about his motives. The Apostle Paul, when he went from one city to the next city, and he walked into a city where the gospel had never been proclaimed, his desire, his goal, was to plant a church in the midst of that city. And then to equip those saints to a certain level, to appoint elders and then move on to the next city. And it didn't matter whether Paul went to a wealthy city like Philippi or a poor city like Derby. Never at any time in his mind did he ever think to himself, I could get support from these people. I could get money from these Christians. Maybe I should focus on the wealthy cities like Corinth and Philippi And, well, not Athens. They're not as wealthy as, say, Ephesus. Maybe I should focus on the wealthy cities and establish wealthy churches where wealthy people get saved and wealthy people contribute to the offering box. Never entered Paul's mind. I have coveted no one's silver, no one's gold, no one's clothes, he said. That's a statement of his own integrity. I want you to notice what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say, I took no one's silver or gold or clothes. Do you notice that? Did he take their silver, their gold, and their clothes? Paul take it from them? Yes, certainly he did. He's carrying a huge chunk of money with him on his way to Jerusalem. What is he going to Jerusalem for? Do you remember? The offering. He took up an offering from all of the churches in Macedonia and Achaia, and those people gave money to the needs of the saints. And Paul willingly, readily took their offerings. And he is carrying with him now a very large store with those seven men that we looked at back in chapter 20. He is carrying with him a large store of money to give to the saints who were in Jerusalem. He took their silver and their gold, but he's not talking about receiving offerings from other people. Paul even received gifts from people and accepted those gifts that came from people for the support of his own ministry. The Philippian church supported him on more than one occasion. The Thessalonian church supported him. The Corinthian church supported him. Christians gave of their own resources to provide for the needs of the Apostle Paul. Paul doesn't say, I didn't take anybody's silver or gold. The Apostle Paul says, I did not covet anybody's silver or gold. There's a difference. Paul doesn't say, I refused all of your offerings. I refused all of your gifts. He never did that. There are times when the Apostle Paul would live and accept the gifts from other Christians. He's not talking about receiving and using money that people give him to supply for his needs while he is ministering to people. He is not talking about never collecting offerings for people or gathering up money to distribute amongst the saints. The Apostle Paul is talking about his motives. I did not have my eye upon your silver and your gold or your possessions. It's his motive that is pure. 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Apostle Paul said, Those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. And for the love of money, some men have departed from the faith and pierced themselves through with many griefs. Paul was not such a man. The materialism, wealth, gold, silver, clothes, none of those things had any draw for him at all. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, Paul said, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. That's a description of Paul. His character is utterly free from the love of money. And he could walk into any setting, any environment, any city, any church, and he could minister and he could serve those people without ever once thinking in his mind, What can I get for myself? He was a man of impeccable integrity. Now, since we're talking about motives and integrity in ministry, you should realize that it can be more than just a love for money that can spoil your motives for ministry. There are other things that make our motives impure. There are other motives that make our, our service to the Lord and what we do for the Lord impure. Maybe for you, money is not even an object. You, you could care less about ever seeing a, another dollar in all of your life. I kind of like the way, I think it's P.J. Rourke who said, I could live completely without any money ever. It's just everybody else wants it. That's why I have to have some. You know, the power company wants your money, so that you've got to earn it and get it. But if it weren't for everybody else demanding your money, you would be able to live without it. Maybe that's you. You just have no thought at all of any wealth, any money, silver, gold possessions. That's even You just never even think to yourself anything about material possessions. But when you serve, it's not about money. It's about something else. It's about recognition. It's about honor, accolades, awards, thanks. Maybe you're the type of person who, when you get up to serve, you want everybody to notice, everybody else to notice your sacrifices and your skills and your talents and your abilities. You want people to come up after you afterwards and say to you, man, that was phenomenal. Boy, God has gifted you. God has skilled you. That is just great. You like the applause. You like the recognition. You like the accolades. You like the eye. You like being in the limelight. Now let me ask you a question. Whose motives are more pure? The person who serves because of the recognition or the honor or the acceptance that they get, or the pastor who serves for the big buck because it's a way of making fast and easy money. Whose motives are more pure? Yet we look down on the pastor of the big church in Seattle who serves for the money, and yet our motives can be just as wicked, just as self-serving, just as self-glorifying, and we're no better than he is. There are other things that can pollute your motive. Why do you do what you do? The Apostle Paul could say, I had integrity. You know what integrity means? Integrity, our English word integrity comes from the the word integer, oneness, wholeness. It means there's no no double motive, no double standard, no double vision. It's It's a singleness of mind, a singleness of purpose, a singleness of motive. There was only one thing that the Apostle Paul was after. What you saw was what you got. He wanted the glory of God. So that everything on the outside was the same as everything on the inside. What you saw in Paul is what you got. There's no hidden agenda. No hidden motive. No dualism with Paul. It's oneness. Integrity. What was on the outside was what was on the inside. That's what integrity is. He ministered with integrity. Second, I want you to notice that he ministered with industry. Look at verse 34. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. The Apostle Paul had a trade, and we've seen this as we've gone through Acts on a couple different occasions. When he came into Thessalonica, he employed his trade to earn money for his own support and the support of men like Timothy and Trophimus and Titus who were with him and Dr. Luke. He employed himself in this trade in order to earn money to support his needs and the men who were with him. He did it in Corinth, Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through about 3, 4, and 5. The Apostle Paul was a tent maker, a leather worker. And he would make not only tents out of leather, but also other leather items, and he would do this in the city, in the marketplace. You remember that's how he met Priscilla and Aquila? To the Thessalonians, the apostle Paul writes, For you recall, brethren, our labor and our hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, Paul says, We did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have a right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone's not willing to work, neither should he eat. Now why did the Apostle Paul do this? Is it wrong? Is it morally wrong? Is it unbiblical for a pastor or a missionary or somebody to receive support from a church or from a group of believers to help them in their so that they can free themselves up for full-time ministry. Is that wrong? Is it wrong for a pastor to receive his salary so that he can be freed up to minister full-time in teaching and preaching? Is it wrong for us to support missionaries so that they're free from the concerns of having to raise support so that they can go out and do what they do to the glory of God? Some cults would say it's wrong. Some even very well-intentioned but incredibly misguided Christians would say that that is wrong but it's not wrong. How do I know that? Because the Apostle Paul asserted his own right to such support. He said to the Thessalonians, we didn't take anything from you, not because we do not have a right to it. He had a right to be supported from the churches that he ministered to. He had a right to expect, to ask for, and to receive support from those who he led to Christ in the ministry of the Gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul says, the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. And Jesus did. Jesus said, you don't, you don't muzzle an ox while he's threshing out the grain. You don't, uh, a laborer is worthy of his hire. Those are the words of the Lord Jesus. And the Apostle Paul says, the Lord says, "If you, if you work in the gospel, you make your living in the gospel. And Paul even asserted to the Corinthians that he had a right to ask them for support. But he didn't do it. So is it wrong for the Apostle Paul to receive support for his ministry? No, it wasn't wrong at all. He had a right to it. And he asserted that right. He didn't take advantage of that right, but he said, I have a right to ask you for things. But he also said, I never have. Paul also asserted that right for other people. In fact, he said to the elders in Ephesus, to these elders in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he said, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching, For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing and the laborer is worthy of his hire. So Paul not only said that he himself had the right, he actually instructed other people to receive support for the ministry that they did in different churches. So why then did the apostle Paul not receive any money? Why then did the apostle Paul minister with his own hands to provide for his own needs and the needs of those men who are with him? Why didn't he just come into a city and proclaim the gospel and establish a church and then teach them this very fact I have a right to expect support from you. Would you please take up contributions to support my ministry? Why didn't the Apostle Paul do that? Two reasons. He says to the Thessalonians, we didn't take advantage of our right because we wanted to offer ourselves an example to you of what hard work is. And so we worked hard among you. There were some in Thessalonica who were not working at all. That's why Paul said, if you're not going to work, you don't eat. There were some who were kicking back and waiting for the Lord to come. Jesus is coming back soon. Let's sit on our haunches. Well, that only goes over with the credit card company for so many months. And after that, they start knocking on your door and wondering, you're wondering, where is the Lord? So Paul said, I I set myself out as an example of industry, hard work, showing you that in working hard like this, I provided for my own needs and the needs of the other men who are with me. But there's a second reason that he says to the Corinthians. He says to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9.18, What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. What was Paul's right in the gospel? His right in the gospel was to collect a support for his ministry, but Paul didn't exercise that right. Why? Paul says, if I'm going to boast about anything, I want to boast about this, that I am able to offer the gospel without charge. He's able to go into a city and proclaim the gospel and never have to mention finances. That's the way the Apostle Paul wanted it. Not that it was wrong for him to collect income, but Paul wanted to set himself as an example and be able to proclaim the gospel without ever having to ask for anything for himself. People willingly gave to him, and he received those things and took those things, but he never had to ask. Why? Because if he needed something, he went out and he worked hard himself so that he could provide for his own needs and the needs of the men who were with him. Why does Paul mention this? It seems a bit out of keeping, right? You're talking about preaching. You're talking about protecting the flock and guarding the flock and being a good shepherd. And then all of a sudden Paul's off on this tangent where he's saying, I didn't covet any man's silver or gold or clothes. Why does he mention this to these elders in this context? There's two reasons. First of all, it is a defense of himself. Just as you know how I worked hard among you. says the same thing to the Thessalonians. He says to them, you know how we behaved ourselves among you. You know our labor and toil that we didn't take any money from you. You know our conduct in the Gospel that even though we could have come in and demanded these things, instead we worked hard. You know these things. Why does he say that to the Thessalonians? Why does he say that to the Ephesians? It is because even though Paul did, did not demand support in order that nobody would be able to question his motives, whenever a false teacher came in and they wanted to destroy Paul, guess what they did? They questioned his motives. They walk into a city and say to the Thessalonians, for instance, hey, Paul's only here to pat his own pocketbook. Oh, come on. Paul? No, really. I mean, he's just here after your money. What makes you think he's here after your money? Well, he just took up that big offering for the saints in Jerusalem, and then he took off, right? He's after your money. And Paul wrote to them, and he said, you know our conduct. He's saying the same thing to the Ephesians. My suspicion is, that these men that he's warning them about from outside the church and from inside the church, back in verses 28 through 33, they were already inside the church and they were calling into question Paul's motives. Yeah, he's coming back for an offering. wants some money for the saints in Jerusalem. While he was here, it was all about money for Paul. They're criticizing his motive. And Paul's offering a defense of himself to these men. You know how we conducted ourselves. You know I coveted no man's silver or gold or clothes. But there's a second reason that Paul mentions it here. It's no accident that these words come right after the words about the false teachers. Why? You know how you spot a false teacher? You know how you spot a wolf in sheep's clothing? They do what they do for the sordid gain. Second Peter chapter two, verse three, Peter warns, in their greed, they will exploit you. Second Peter chapter two, verse fourteen, they have hearts trained in greed as accursed children. Titus chapter 1 verse 11, Paul says these men must be silenced because they're upsetting whole households teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 5, there are men who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. You wanna know who the false teachers are? They're the men who do what they do for what they can get out of it. They're the men who do what they do because they believe that God wants them wealthy and rich at your expense. And they're asking you for your big offering and for you to sacrifice and for you to send them money so that they can make their Mercedes payment. That is the mark of a false teacher. They do what they do for greed. Their hearts are trained in greed. Their minds are depraved and deprived of the truth. They are selfish. They are greedy. They are after the sordid game. They want the big buck with little work, and it's a ruse, and they know it, and they want it. That's why they do what they do. Now, Paul is just the opposite. I coveted no one's silver or gold. Not only is it a defense of himself, but it's also description of the false teachers who were going to be coming into Ephesus, who would be after their money. In fact, Paul wrote to those very elders, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and he said, there are some who suppose the godliness is a means of gain. I wonder if they were on the beach that day when they heard Paul say this. I didn't covet any man's silver or gold. I wonder, this is just speculation, I wonder if he's looking into the eyes of Hymenaeus and Alexander as he's saying that. I coveted no one's silver or gold. I wonder if he knew who they were. I think he did. Paul says, I gave you an example that by working hard in this manner, notice in verse 36, sorry, verse 35, that he mentions his hard work. And he's commending to these elders that if you're going to shepherd the flock, if you're going to protect the flock, if you're going to preach to the flock, and you're going to teach to the flock, it's going to require hard work. And I gave you an example that you should work hard in these things. The word hard work was used not only of physical labor in a physical laborious sense, but also it was used of spiritual ministry, ministry of the mind in teaching and preaching, the word is used to describe not only emotional and spiritual labor, but also physical labor. I told you or I instructed you that by working hard in this manner, and they got to know that it's going to be hard work to shepherd the flock. It's going to be hard work to preach and teach. It's going to be hard work to do what God has called them to do. But the Spirit of God had committed them and had commissioned them to be overseers of the flock. And Paul says, I left you an example of hard work. Follow up on it. Don't slack. Don't slouch. Don't be lazy. Don't think that this is going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. Then the Apostle Paul quotes Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Curious statement about that sentence. It's nowhere in the Gospels. Do you know that? We say that all the time, don't we? We're quoting Jesus, but we're quoting Jesus from Paul's quotation of Jesus. It's nowhere in any of the Gospels. It shouldn't surprise us because the Gospels don't include everything Jesus said and everything that Jesus did. But here is a quotation from Jesus from the lips of the Apostle Paul, and Paul must have received it from Peter or James or John or Luke or somebody like that. But here Paul quotes Jesus, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And you and I usually quote those words, and what we have in our minds is money. That's what we think of, isn't it? It's more blessed to give than to receive. And that is very true. It is a blessing for a Christian and one of the greatest blessings for a Christian to be able to work with their hands industriously or with their minds and to receive a paycheck or a reward for that and then to be able to turn around and give some of that to somebody else and to help those who are weak and to help those who are in need. That's very true. It is, in a very real sense, more blessed to give than to receive. Always better to be on the giving end of things than it is to be on the receiving end of things. And if you've ever been the recipient of someone else's goodness or generosity, then you know how just humbling that can be. And you know how, how uh, difficult that can be sometimes. It's blessed to receive. All of us like to receive. Everybody likes to receive. But it's more blessed to give than to receive. We think of it in terms of money. But friends, there's a broader application here. Is Paul talking strictly about money? What's he talking about? Ministry. Ministry. He started out by saying, I've served you, wanting nothing for it. Why? Because it is more blessed to serve to give than it is to serve to receive something. You see that? It not only applies to giving, it applies to serving. More blessed is the servant who serves for the sake of serving, who serves for the sake of giving to somebody else or blessing somebody else than to the person who serves because they can receive Finances, or recognition, or adoration, or a thanks, or an award. More blessed is the person who serves just for the purpose of serving and giving. It's better to serve to give than it is to serve in order to receive something. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. When you serve just for the purpose of serving and giving to somebody else, friends, it is then that you most model Christ. Because he gave him himself, didn't he? He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for any, many. He humbled himself and became a man and took upon himself the form of a servant. He laid aside all of the glories and the, and the, and the comforts and the blessings of heaven and he came down here to earth to tread the, the, the earth that we tread and to live among us so that we could behold his glory. And why did he do that? To get something? To become rich? For the recognition, if those were his motives, then he was another failure. But he gave simply because he loved others. And he wanted to serve for the sake of serving. That's why Paul uses Christ as an example, to think not of your own interests but of the interests of others and to consider other people's interests as more than your own. Why is that? Because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It applies to finances and it applies to service. Let's go ahead and finish Acts chapter 20. Look at verse 36. When he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all, and they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. Having finished his address, he quotes the Lord Jesus, and he's done. And then they kneel down and they have a word of prayer together. Now friends, I wish I could hear what Paul prayed. Don't you? I wish this is what, I mean, I would have paid Luke good money to just include even an outline of the prayer that the apostle Paul prayed. I would love to hear how this man of God prayed for these shepherds, prayed for these elders. He had won them to the Lord. He had discipled them, equipped them. They had matured to the point where they are able to take over the shepherding responsibilities of this church. And the Apostle Paul is leaving these men whom he loves so dearly and who love him so dearly. This is his last time with them. His last words with them. And he wants to spend that time kneeling down and praying. What does he pray? I'm sure he committed them to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build them up and give them an inheritance among all those who are sanctified by faith in Christ. I'm sure he prayed that. But what do you pray for elders? I'd like to know what the Apostle Paul prayed for elders. I would like to know what he asked God on behalf of these men understanding the threat that they were about to face. What did he ask them? Then they wept. Man, they kissed him. They fell all over him, hugging him. They couldn't stand the thought of not seeing the Apostle Paul again. He's on his way to Jerusalem, not knowing what's going to happen to them, except the chains and afflictions await him in every city. The Spirit of God has made that clear. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Life or death, he doesn't know. They don't know. As far as they're concerned, they're sending Paul off to a death sentence. As far as they're concerned, they're never going to see him again. And they hug him and they kiss him, and they're weeping loud over this phrase that he said that they're not going to see his face any, ever again. During my fourth year of ministry, I'm sorry, my fourth year of Bible college in the ministry that I had as a associate pastor. I was in this little church, a little church. It's 120 people in northern Saskatchewan. I was only there for eight months. But, man, I grew to love these people. Just grew to real close with them and served alongside of them. And leaving that last week or two weeks that I was up in Nealburg was some of the hardest couple of weeks that I've ever had in my whole life. Because when you serve alongside of some some people and you love them that much and you're visiting and you're spending time with them and you serve a flock like that, you just... Build this kinship. You build this this um, knitting together of your spirit and your soul. And then when you have to leave, it's one of the most difficult things in all the world to leave. And as I was leaving, I was crying like a baby, weeping over the fact that I was leaving all these people. I don't remember anybody weeping over the fact that I was leaving, but I was weeping <laughs> over the fact that I had to leave. Maybe everybody else was happy to see me leave, but I know that it tore me up to have to leave people that I had grown to love, even over such a short period of time. Here was a group of men and women that the Apostle Paul had served for three years in Ephesus in that church. And now in the city of Miletus, here is the leadership of that. They have probably spent more time with Paul than anybody else in Ephesus. And he has given them instruction. He is committing it to them. And he is saying farewell. This is it. And they took every moment they could get with him. You see what they did? They accompanied him to the ship. They went from Miletus down to the port, and they walked right up, and I'm sure they would have come onto the ship with him if they hadn't have been kept off of it. They accompanied him down to the ship. Why? They wanted every minute with this man because they loved him so much. Friends, let me ask you, to what do you attribute such an impact in ministry and service and life? To what do you attribute that kind of an impact? It's not like they just said, okay, farewell, Paul. Happy trails. See you on the other side of glory. This was difficult for them. Why was it difficult for them? Why did he have such an impact in their life and in their ministry and in their homes and in their hearts? Why did they weep? Why did they grieve? Why did they cling on to him and want to spend every minute with him? You know why it is? It's because the Apostle Paul had a persistent ministry, a purposeful ministry, a preaching ministry, a protective ministry, and a principled ministry. And may God grant to each one of us the grace to follow that kind of an example. Let's pray. My Father, we do thank you for this portion of your word and for the example in life and ministry that the Apostle Paul is to us. He is an example, but beyond all of his example is simply the example of our Lord Jesus Christ who himself gave and served and left us the example that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And we ask God that you would help us to not only look to Paul as he follows Christ, but also to look beyond him to the model that he followed, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And to understand that it's more blessed to give than to receive, and it is more blessed to serve for the sake of serving for others rather than what we can get out of it. We pray, God, for the grace to examine our own hearts, our own lives, our own ministry and motives, and to bring into line those things which are not pleasing to you, that you would be glorified not only through the, our works of service, but through the, the motives and the reasons for which we serve. We want to do this for your glory and your glory alone. And we ask this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.